0: Welcome to the Leading with Data Podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of data, strategy, leadership, and results. The show is brought to you by Molecula, and I'm your host, Jason Dorsey. Let's dive in. Welcome, everyone, to the Leading with Data Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dorsey, and I am thrilled about today's show. We have a very special guest, You may have seen him on television. You may have read one of his New York Times best-selling books. He is the founder of Convince & Convert, which is a digital marketing and customer experience strategic consulting firm. He is the one and only Jay Baer. Welcome to the show, Jay. I am delighted to
1: be here, Jason. Thank you so much for having me with that kind and mostly factual introduction.
0: You know, it, it, there are people out there that still may not be familiar with you and your great work. Obviously, uh, as, as you know, I have all of your books. I'm an avid reader of your insights. But I'd love if you would kick us off by sharing, how did you get into your current role?
1: I started off in politics, Jason, which is always an interesting thing to admit. <laughs> uh, I was... Uh, a political campaign consultant when I came out of university and managed political campaigns for uh, Congress and governor and statewide initiative, even worked on some presidential races, but realized that that's not a particularly great job if you want to raise a family uh, and and had the good sense to get out of politics as an occupation and got into what we would now consider to be traditional marketing. And I spent a little bit of time working for the government. Uh, I was actually the spokesperson, Jason, for the Arizona Department of Juvenile Corrections. And so my job (laughs) was to give tours of the juvenile prison system, which is not even (laughs) as fun as it sounded in the last sentence. Uh, And I realized that that was not my future. And meanwhile, I had beers with some friends of mine who had started the very first internet company in the state of Arizona. This is circa 1993. And they said, "Uh, Jay, we, we don't know anything about marketing, but this company we started is starting to get a little bit bigger. And I said, that's fine, because when you say the word internet, I don't know what that means. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, I, and I really didn't. It was 1993. But I left my job as a, a tour prison guard uh, and, uh, and started an internet company. Uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. I've been in the uh, digital marketing and customer experience consulting business um, all the way through, uh, really, since the very, very beginnings of the internet so long ago. Uh, that when I started, domain names were free. You could just get whatever domain name you wanted and <laughs> pay nothing for it. Uh, <laughs> who did not even want to have a website. And at that very first internet company, Jason, uh, my partners and I in that business, we, we bought a bunch of domain names again for free. So I guess we acquired <laughs> them, not even bought them. And one of those was Budweiser.com, which we sold to Anheuser-Busch Brewing in 1993 for 50 Cases of beer. That was our actual, <laughs> actual price. Uh, that was the data at the time. That was what the going rate was. The beer. So uh, I, I have uh, been. I, I have seen the the invention of the internet, and and uh, and here I am.
0: Wow, I love that. And uh, you know, it'd be helpful for all of our listeners. You know, just to give you again a little bit of background. So we have a lot of CIOs, CTOs, mm-hmm. CMOS people that are deeply involved in data. Others that are more on the strategy and leadership side. Can you sort of give us a sense of the types of clients that you work with just to to be able to contextualize the answers?
1: You bet. So we work uh, with a lot of medium-sized and large companies to improve their marketing and customer experience. And because a lot of our work is digital, uh, data is a big, big part of what we do. So we work with organizations uh, like Cisco, with Hilton Hotels, California, uh, Tourism, 3M, the Grand Ole Opry uh, Bentley and, and, and lots of others.
0: Well, fantastic. And and so, you know, now we can step back a little bit, you know, me, I love to go in different directions. What is the most important decision that you have made using data and how did it work out?
1: Geez, I mean, I could do several hours on this. I mean, I'll tell you, the reason my company is called Convince and Convert is that we started as a conversion rate optimization firm, which is nothing but data, right? So that's sort of A-B testing on steroids, if you will, which is 100% data-driven. But I started a blog, uh, and that would have been almost 13 years ago. And I wrote all these blog posts. And every time I wrote a blog post about conversion rate optimization, nobody read it. Uh, and whenever time I wrote a blog post about social media, everybody read it. And I said, aha, the data <laughs> is telling me that we can start to provide more services uh, around social media, which is how we ultimately became a social media strategy firm. Uh, and we still do a lot of that work today. But I'll tell you another uh, little tale, Jason. My book, uh, Hug Your Haters, which is all about uh, modern online customer service and how businesses can better support their customers um, using Uh, live chat and social media, et cetera. The original principle, the premise of that book was that speed is the most important thing. That that if you are fastest, you are bestest. However, I did a massive research project, um, lots and lots and lots and lots of data and discovered that that wasn't actually true. That speed is really important, but it's not the most important thing. Most important thing is to answer your customers every time. And so I literally changed the title of the book, <laughs> wrote the entire book based on data. And, and you and I share this, Jason, uh, <laughs> our, our um, disappointment in, in business authors who don't root their work in data. Obviously, uh, your new book, The Economy, is incredible. Uh, and is all well, Thank you, I appreciate impact. that. It is awesome. So, uh, yes, we, we have that in common, that business books should be in data, not just, I think you should do this.
0: Yeah, I definitely, uh, as as I, our listeners, I know, uh, would appreciate. I I definitely have a, have a penchant for wanting to see the data. I don't just want to hear the data; I want to see it. I want to know where you got it from. <laughs> How did you analyze it? And, and I think those are fair and reasonable questions to ask. And I think too long in the whole leadership sort of marketing category, we've traded on on great great stories and you know uh, case studies that are very light. And and the problem with that is ultimately leaders have to make often bet the company type decisions, and we need those grounded in data that we can trust to the ability that we can. And so, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely a, an advocate for that. Well, so, so going in that direction, what is a, an unexpected opinion you have about data or the future of data?
1: We spend a lot of time in my company thinking about data through the prism of AI and machine learning because that technology is applied to digital marketing in lots of ways and more and more all the time. And many of the things that you would do to improve your digital marketing manually uh, are now done or can be done or will soon be done by AI and, and machine learning, whether it's writing the best email headline or whatever the circumstances may be. My belief is this, that the future of data is that strategy will become even more important than it is today because when everybody has access to incredible data and has access to artificially intelligent robots that are making great decisions based on that data, the tactics from company to company essentially become a tie. If we both have super intelligent robots based on incredible data, then your advantage and my advantage are neutralized the way I like to describe this to clients, Jason, is, is in the world of infinite data, the strategist becomes king.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so does the ability, I think, to process that data accurately, to access the data because it's often siloed in various different places. And, you know, I know the team at Molecular talks about this all the time, you know, to be able to combine historic data and real-time data, that, that to me is the secret sauce where I think there's just huge untapped potential. Uh, so so going a little bit deeper on that on the strategy side. This is sort of a fun segue then. What do you think is most important when it comes to being an effective leader now?
1: I would say two things. One, not using data in a manipulative way. You can find data to support just about any position. The reality is we are surrounded by data in many cases, but we're starved for true insights. And so I think you have to be incredibly flexible as an effective leader now. You have to be flexible in terms of the data you take in and how you interpret it. And I think you just have to be flexible as as a human being, as, as a leader. I mean, your workforce demands flexibility Um, partially generationally, as you know so much about, right? People don't want to have the exact same work experience as all of their colleagues and peers. And it goes without saying that the circumstances we find ourselves in as we record this show also demands tremendous flexibility. So to me, the thing that's changed the most in the 20 years that I guess I've been a quote unquote leader is that you could have a way of doing things that was rooted in data. And that was just the way you operated. And now only a fool sticks to his guns like that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm sort of curious just to, to go a little bit deeper about what you do. When you think about looking at uh, conversion and you look at social media and you look at all these various channels for customers and clients, are there any that you've seen now sort of become more important, others that have become less important, or any unexpected insights you've gained cuz you do get to see the data of so many clients anything jump out that you're watching right now of course
1: uh, yeah i would say one of each despite rumors to the contrary email is not dead right email <laughs> is still is still incredibly vital incredibly important especially uh, in in the enterprise and and while email hasn't changed that much fundamentally our understanding of what makes an individual email successful has changed a lot. Um, And and so timing and personalization and relevancy, which are all rooted in big data, uh, are are a huge key to email effectiveness. And then if you think about other ways to communicate, the one I find fascinating is the prevalence um, of, and actually embrace of video as a content format at all stages of the buyer's funnel. It used to be, oh, video just a bunch of those kids on YouTube or Twitch. It's not like that anymore. C-suite executives are consuming video at all stages of the consideration funnel uh, alongside uh, long form written text. And and that was not the case at some point in the past. And it is the case now. And and so we work with a lot of clients to increase the multimedia aspect of, of what they do. Sometimes that's podcasts like this, sometimes it's video.
0: Gotcha. And so when you, when you want to help a non-data person sort of understand how to think about their data, because I know many of our listeners are faced with this, this is something that I work with a lot, right? You, you have a data background and then you go into a room of people that, you know, maybe that's not their strength or their passion like it is for you or for me or many of our listeners, and you want to sort of share with them the, the insights or the power of the data or the, the facts that you've uncovered or the clues you've uncovered Are there any strategies or or anything you keep in mind when you do that? Because I'm imagining you have to present to a lot of audiences like that.
1: All the time. And and you said a really important thing there, Jason, that you have to understand the baseline comfort level of whatever audience it is, whether it's on a Zoom call or a boardroom or a conference wherever you're speaking to someone about your conclusions or your ideas, you have to understand their their baseline comfort level with the data. And I think what what trips a lot of people up, and I used to be guilty of this in my younger years as well, is I would say I have 17 data-backed conclusions and companion recommendations. It is my duty as a consultant to make sure that I present each and every one of these to you, that, that let me tell you all of the things I know, as opposed to tell you the things that you definitely need to know. And I work with my strategy team all the time, Jason, and I always tell them the same thing. You'll love this. I say, do not tell our clients what they could do. Only tell our clients, backed by data, what they must do. Mm-hmm. Our clients are smart enough to already know what they could do. They already know the menu of possibilities. What they hire us to do is to narrow that down and say, you only should do these things. And and that actually requires you to to first see all the data and then second say, amidst all this data, what is actually important? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because if everything is important, by definition, nothing is important.
0: Yeah, and it's overwhelming and then people get stuck and and they don't start on anything. Yeah, it's interesting for us. uh, One of the things you've heard me harp on this a bunch in, in talks is I feel that people talk about data and research and don't share their methodology. They don't talk about the sample or where the data came from. And I have this very strong belief that in order to accurately present the data so people can Put it in context and really understand the validity of it, and the accuracy. You have to share what your methodology is from. Where did the data come from? Who was the sample, and so forth. And, and to me, that's something that I think is a big miss in a lot of just these these broader conversations. Is, you know, you go in there either assuming that they know where the data came from, or assuming that you know it's better for you to know and they don't really care or whatever that assumption is somewhere on that spectrum of not wanting to talk about it or just choosing that it's not necessary to talk about it. And the the reality is I find if you share with executives and leaders, a lot of background and this is about like a minute, just sharing with them here's what the methodology was. This is who we're going to be talking about whether that's customers or employees or trendsetters or any of these types of things, and then go into the data I just find there's a much greater level of buying because then it's almost like you're you're teaching them how to read it in a way that, that they have comfort, you know? And I, I mean, I always start off even sharing our, with our research. It's pretty funny. I'll do this corporate boards all the time. Okay, I know all of you have seen one of these research slides, but I'm going to share with you how we read it and how we look at it. And then that way you'll understand how we see it, and we can go, you know, go into it as much as you want. And just sort of framing it up like that makes it safe for everybody to go, oh, yeah, I'd love a refresher. You know, <laughs> you just Absolutely. sort of do that. <laughs> the other thing I think is really fascinating to me that we found is that when you're sharing data or insights, it's not just what the data is, but it's, you know, what does it mean? Uh, and then I always like to focus on what, what can you do with it? What are the actions? Because to me, just giving people more insights is interesting, but most of our clients that we work with want to know what to do. So it's sort of like what you said, what could you do? What must they do? And, and, and ours, it's getting very specific. And these are the exact actions we know work, for example, to attract a flu millennial customers or, or so forth. And I think that's really powerful for people is if you can connect it with a sample action or a specific action within sort of the, the guidelines or the guardrails or the compliance or whatever that is, that's helpful. I think, unfortunately, uh, and I share this because you're such a famous business speaker and author, You know, I, I see so many speakers stand on stages back when we're doing them in person and they would share all this how-to advice. And I'm going, the people in the audience legally cannot do what you just suggested. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. they, can't, they, they can't do that you know whether it's financial services or pharmaceutical company or whatever it is. So i'm just like it's very important that you you think about it within the the confines of how people operate and, and can legally operate so love that well let's sort of go into the future a little bit uh, what is one prediction you have about the future of data and business i'm super excited about this one
1: well, as I mentioned in my book, Hug Your Haters, which is all about customer service, and, and I know you and I have actually talked about this at, at one point, I am really excited and we're already there kind of, but it's just not fully taken root yet. The, the idea of, of predictive service, right? This idea that we don't have to, as an organization, say, what is our policy and i'm throwing up my air quotes here what is our policy when somebody asks for a refund or or how do we handle it when a customer asks this question or that question right now most businesses have to actually create a policy because they are treating their customers holistically as a group customers plural when we have full access to all the aggregated data, we can truly treat customers as individuals. And so your policy, quote unquote, doesn't need to exist because you can quite rightly, and I think beneficially address each customer's needs based on that customer's actual circumstances, their lifetime value and a number of other factors and be able to do that in a second. And and, and so what we'll end up with Jason is, is far better customer satisfaction scores far better customer outcomes but ironically how we get there is not by treating customers the same but by treating them manifestly different
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's where that that really deep you know and responsive personalization you build trust People feel like they're part of the solution, not just part of the problem. It's really powerful. You know, one of the things that I've heard the molecular team talk about is the idea that if it takes so long to surface the data, it's it's less valuable the longer it right. takes. You know, it, it becomes stale. And so if you're not finding out, for example, that a customer had a complaint for two days, that that's way too long. Or you can't pull up their history in real time when they make it. These are these are real issues that are totally solvable. And if you do, you just create a completely different customer experience. And the interesting thing to me is, let's pretend that 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 happened and a customer raises their hand, has a complaint, has a problem, has an issue, and you find it two days later, and then you resolve the solution you offer it two days versus the solution you offer it two seconds, could be the exact same solution, but the level of satisfaction is markedly different if it's right away versus well, we'll get back to you on Monday, you know? <laughs> or not even knowing and recognizing it until Monday. So it's so powerful to see how that how that speed and then that individualized response. It just it's it's so powerful. Well, then then uh, sort of going big picture for a second, you know, jumping up a little bit. What is as, as I always end the podcast with this question because it's one of my favorite questions. What is your favorite leadership quote, saying or motto, and why?
1: I don't know if it's really a leadership quote, but it is my favorite quote. Uh, and, and I actually have a sign that has this quote on it just off of, uh, of camera here as we uh, rec- record this uh, on uh, on Zoom, but, but you can hear only our voices, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is, and my mom gave this to me years and years ago. I guess it was probably maybe when I started my first company, she bought this for me. So I've had this sign for quite a long time. It says, Jason, remember, some days you're the pigeon, and some days you're the statue. <laughs> and I feel like that's really good advice, uh, because my my dad my dad used to tell me a similar thing. He would say, "Remember, it's never going as well as you think it is, and it's never going as poorly as you think it is." Uh, and, and that is good advice. As somebody who has been in digital, right, for almost thirty years. I have had zero days of calm in that period, right? It's just the nature of the work that we do. I mean, Facebook changes something that has a material impact on my business hourly, right, it seems like. Uh, And and so this idea that like, look, just try and keep an even keel as best you can has actually uh, served me uh, really well.
0: Love that. And I know our Leading with Data listeners will too. Jay, for our listeners that want to reach out and learn more about you, maybe follow you on social media. I know you put out a lot of different reports. Where's the best place for them to reach you?
1: You can find me in all the social media uh, with my name, Jay Baird, J-A-Y-B-A-E-R. And our main website is convinceandconvert.com. We have literally thousands of of articles, data-backed reports, podcasts, and and everything you might want uh, in the field of marketing and customer experience.
0: Well, this has been a phenomenal interview. A big head tip to Molecula, as always, for making this possible. Please be on the lookout for the next show we've got a great interview lined up and thank you jay bear for your amazing insights and energy and stories as always we're glad to have you on the leading with data podcast thanks so much thank you for joining us on the leading with data podcast i'm your host jason dorsey and it was so much fun to get to bring this podcast to you big thanks to our sponsor molecular for making this possible For those of you who'd love to learn more about Molecula, definitely worth checking them out. You can visit molecula.com and I look forward to you joining us on the next podcast.